Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to see you. So glad you guys are here. Hope you're enjoying your nice wet Christmas out there. Uh, it's, it's great to be with you guys together. Question for you. Are you having an ordinary Christmas? Are you having an ordinary Christmas? Now, for some of you, an ordinary Christmas means absolute chaos, right? It means the stress and the busyness and the running around. And uh, sometimes Christmas just seems like a, a crazy blur. Uh, maybe, maybe ordinary for you is on the other side. Maybe it's, the, it's a little too quiet. It's a little lonely, it's a little sad, it's a little unmeaningful. Um, whatever your ordinary is, I just want you guys to know something. God wants you to have an extraordinary Christmas. He really does. And not only an extraordinary Christmas, he wants you to have an extraordinary day after Christmas. And he wants you to have an extraordinary week after Christmas, the next month, the next year. Ultimately, God really wants you to experience extraordinary in your life, in your life. But how do we move from you know, ordinary to extraordinary. How, how do we do that? And I think we're going to see something today that will be very encouraging, you know, because we know that a lot of people are trapped in ordinary. And if God wants us to experience extraordinary and he's made a way possible, then, then he's given us an opportunity to break it out. How is that? It's the birth of Christ. It's the life of Christ. It's the death of Christ. It's the resurrection of Christ. It's the future coming of Christ. And so really, uh, faith in Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate today, changes the ordinary to the extraordinary. Now, I just want to give us um, an example of that and just a reminder of that. I'll need a little bit of help from the classic nativity scene. Now, I'm just going to let you know, I don't have the whole nativity set here, I also let you know that when I told my wife I'm taking our nativity set, I got the stink eye. And um, if I break any of these pieces and you don't see me after today, you'll know what happened, okay? You can send them after my wife. But anyways, let's think about some of the people in the classic nativity. Of course, we've got Mary, and this Mary's holding Christ. She's holding the baby Christ. It's safe to say Mary had a pretty extraordinary Christmas, right? She had a pretty extraordinary Christmas. And of course, uh, we've got Joseph. Joseph's hanging out with Mary and Jesus. And uh, Joseph, no doubt, had an extraordinary Christmas that first night. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Now, here's where we get uh, a few other people on the scene. The angels appeared to the shepherds. Now, obviously, it was shepherds, plural. I didn't want to carry a bunch of shepherds in, nor did my wife. So um, anyways, I got one. So let this one shepherd represent his whole posse of shepherds, okay? And so we've got the shepherd there. Man, the shepherds definitely did not have an extraordinary or an ordinary night. It was extraordinary. Angels breaking out, telling them about the birth of Christ and all of that. And if you're here tomorrow for a Christmas service, you'll find out, find out more about that. And then, of course, uh, we've got the notorious wise men. Now, here's the thing about the wise men. Let's just make sure we're accurate with our nativity. Uh, we don't know there were three wise men. There were three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. It doesn't say there were three wise men. Sorry if some of you, that's a newsflash heartbreak, but there might have been two. There might have been 12. We don't know. On top of that, they weren't there the night that Jesus was born, even though our mangers and nativity say that. Um, if you read Matthew 2 carefully, they were there anywhere like a year or two after Jesus was born because they came and visited the child in the home. They didn't come and visit the baby in the manger. So if we want to be technical, we, we'd probably put this guy way over there. But because God did bring them onto the scene during the early time of Christ, um, we, we think it's appropriate to represent them in the nativity. And so this kind of opens up the timeline. His two guys are out um, taking, they're getting Chipotle or something. So anyways, he's chilling here. And so we've, we've got these, these folks here that kind of representing the nativity timeline, the birth of Christ, the extraordinary things that God did. But there was another guy. 
There was another guy in the early days after the birth of Christ, about 40 days after Jesus was born, there was this man that God had an encounter with that helped him move from like an ordinary day, ordinary life, into something extraordinary. And his name is Simeon, okay? Now, here's the deal about Simeon. I I have not yet found a nativity uh, with a Simeon in it because it was 40 days later. It's funny. They brought the guys from a year or two later into the scene, but they didn't bring Simeon into the scene. So the best I could do was get my hands on a J.R. Smith bobblehead. So uh, J.R. standing in for Simeon um, to this, today. So uh, Simeon, Simeon, um, God allowed him, <laughs> it's funny, I'm looking at J.R., I'm, like, I'm having a hard time seeing Simeon, but his, his head's, okay, anyways. But God let Simeon see beyond an ordinary baby to the extraordinary Savior. Like what a gift. What an amazing gift. And God truly took this man, Simeon, and moved him from what he thought was going to be an ordinary day, ordinary week, ordinary year, and gave him something extraordinary once he encountered the baby who was born, this 40-day-year-old baby. And so I want to take you to this moment, all right? I'm going to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. I want to take you to this moment. And what we're trying to understand here is that faith in Christ as the Savior who's been born changed Simeon's ordinary to extraordinary, and it can change ours too. And so find yourselves in Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're going to pick up here, it's obviously uh, after the birth of Christ, and it says in Luke chapter 2 verse 22, it says, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, this is speaking about Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem, notice the word up, it means to travel north, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So let's just stop here because this is a good reminder that Jesus was born into a devout Jewish family, right? Mary and Joseph were devout Jews. They practiced Jewish customs. They practiced Jewish laws. And so Jesus would have gone through all that, which was uh, customary for the firstborn uh, of a family that's a boy. And so they would have circumcised him, as you saw in the verses leading into this, at eight years old, which was a huge tie to to being uh, of, of the people of Abraham, to the Jewish identity. And then now, They're going to the temple to be purified. You know, she's gone through her time of purification. She's going to be dedicating uh, Jesus um, to the Lord. And so they're traveling from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Quick map for you. This is only six miles. uh, Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem. So this is not a long trip. They're traveling six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord. The irony here is so thick. Think about this. Mary and Joseph are bringing their son to dedicate him to the Lord's service. Like, think about that for a second. They're dedicating Jesus to the Lord's service. A, uh, if you know, of course, about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and who Jesus is and what he did, that's crazy. Like, the irony's so thick. On top of that, he's the Lord. So they were dedicating the Lord to the Lord for the use of the Lord, but he's the Lord, and it's just an amazing moment. So anyways, all this is going on. It's a fascinating moment. And What I want to see here as we move forward is what takes place with this encounter now with Simeon. Look at verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was, what? Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, 
waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And what an extraordinary moment. And this is a moment where God took what what, uh, Simeon thought was going to be ordinary and he changed it to extraordinary. Now, I want to look at four characteristics of Simeon. Now, this is a fascinating man. This is the only time we see him pop up in Scripture. But there's four characteristics, I think, that we can learn from as we look at his life, that if these four characteristics helped him move from the ordinary to the extraordinary because he encountered Christ, maybe these four characteristics in our life could also help us move from ordinary to extraordinary as we encounter Christ, okay? So the first trait I see here, the first uh, characteristic, is that Simeon was devoted. Simeon was devoted. It said here in this passage that he was a righteous man, a devoted man. You know what that means? It means that he was a God-fearing man. He tried to live his life in a way that pleased God. He leaned into God. He was sensitive to the things of God. And so he was a devoted man. He was a righteous man. He tried to do things right. But here's the thing. He still didn't know Christ yet. We, we would say he was a good guy, a religious guy which is a good thing, but good isn't what gets us in in relationship with God. We need to have that relationship with Jesus. So even though he was a good guy, he was a righteous guy, he was a devoted guy, he still had not yet encountered Christ who would then bring the transformation. But it still was an advantage. Being devoted was an advantage. It was something that God used uh, as it played out in his life. And so in the same way, you know, we want to try to live a life devoted. Like maybe you know the Lord, maybe you don't yet. But the, regardless of that, you know what? I think, I think it's an advantage to us that if we try to live devoted to God, you know, like we try to lean into God, we try to be sensitive to God, we try to live a life pleasing to what the Lord would like, that that's an advantage that when we do encounter Christ, then we get to move from the ordinary to the extraordinary as Christ comes into our life. And so we see that Simeon was devoted, and it helped him move from ordinary to extraordinary. And so in the same way, if we try to pursue devotion to God, it can help us move from ordinary to extraordinary. Secondly, we see that Simeon was hopeful. It says here that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? If you, if you think about the nation of Israel, you're talking about a people that knew suffering, Right? This is a nation that at this time was occupied by Rome. You're talking about a people group that was weary and longing and knew suffering intimately. And some of the suffering for the nation of Israel was brought on by themselves. Their abandoning of God, their rebellion against God, God allowed suffering to come into them as discipline. There were other times suffering was because they were persecuted, oppressed, put in slavery by other nations. And so there's this longing, there's this yearning for more. This, they, need, they need to be consoled. They need to be comforted. And so here's a man, Simeon, waiting. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel. Well, how's that comfort supposed to come? God promised that he would send a savior. God promised he would send one to rescue. He promised he would send one to redeem and to restore all things. And so Simeon is having faith in God's character and saying, God, I believe you're going to do this. On top of that, I mean, this is mind-blowing. God gave him a unique promise. He said, you will not die until you see the one who comes. Like, what a mind blower. 
that the Holy Spirit said, you're not going to die until you see the very one who I'm going to bring in to rescue Israel. And so he's hopeful. He's living in hope that no matter how old he gets, no matter how bad his body aches, no matter what kind of stuff he sees, no matter what's happening with Rome and all these other things, he's hopeful because he believes God's going to keep his promises. Look, I don't know what you're going through, but here's the thing. If you're a human, you're going through something, right? We always say, you you know, you're either coming out of something, in something, or going into something, right? And so uh, your world gets turned upside down. You know, divorce hits, death hits, sickness hits, tragedy hits, job loss hits. All this stuff hits our life. The question is, do you live in a state of being hopeful? That God is still God and he still keeps his promise. And that you still can find hope and security and comfort. We need consolation from the one who God sends. And so we can see here that it was his hopefulness and who God was going to provide that he was waiting for. He was waiting for the consolation. He was waiting for the comfort to come. In the same way as we go through our life, God will help us move from the ordinary to the extraordinary as we live in a hopefulness of him. Like, I don't understand why this is going on in my life. I don't understand why this season is going on as long as it has. I understand. I don't understand why God's allowing this pain to come into my life. But you know what? He's God. I trust him. I'm going to remain hopeful, waiting. Waiting for when God shows me, ah, this is what I've learned. This is how I've grown. This is what God has used us for in my life to shape my character. And this is how God has made me more dependent on him. This is how God has taken what's ordinary and through pain and, and, and suffering and through difficulty has actually used it to, so that I can see and depend on the extraordinary one. And so in the same way, being hopeful will help us experience the extraordinary when we're hopeful in the Lord like Simeon was. Thirdly, we see this. Simeon was responsive, and I think this is huge. When you look at the life of Simeon and you look at this passage, look what we hear. It says here in the passage that Simeon had God's Holy Spirit upon him, right? Verse 25. It said the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah, until he saw the Savior, verse 26. It said the Holy Spirit led him, right? That that he was in the Spirit when he came into the temple. And so here you have this man who is sensitive to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. And then he went into a place of worship that day. And in that place of worship, God surprised him with this encounter where he thought it was going to be an ordinary day. And he had an extraordinary encounter with the one who was born. And so he was, this, this was a sensitivity in his life to the Holy Spirit leading him and guiding him and directing him. And let me just ask you, are you sensitive to the Spirit? Because God's Holy Spirit is always trying to speak to you and woo you and guide you and direct you. And are you sensitive to the nudging of the Spirit like Simeon was? See, if Simeon wasn't sensitive to the Spirit, he would have got trapped in ordinary, right? But he was sensitive to where God was steering him through his Spirit, and that's what led him into this extraordinary moment. So in the same way, as you start to think about the deeper things of life, like what's the purpose of life? What about life and death and heaven and hell and the Bible and Jesus and truth and all these kinds of things that that we ponder upon? Are you sensitive to how God leads through his spirit? And he'll use people, by the way, right? He uses people. Some of you are here because your, your son or daughter wanted you here or your mom or dad wanted you here or another family member or a friend or maybe a felt need brought you into, like, check this out. Simeon went into a place of worship, had the encounter. You're now here in this place of worship. Perhaps God wants you to have an encounter. And so are you sensitive to that felt need of that person that God's using to bring you so you can hear about not the ordinary baby, but the extraordinary Savior who was born that day? And so if you also are sensitive and responsive to the Holy Spirit, you too can move from ordinary 
to extraordinary as you encounter Christ. And the last thing I see here, this fourth characteristic, is that Simeon was fulfilled. Simeon was fulfilled. Like, did you catch this amazing moment? It's what really drew me to the passage for us today. Here's a man given a unique promise that he would see the Savior before he died. And, and this is a moment where, and I, I just kind of geek out on this stuff. I'm like, what was this moment like? Like, we're not given all the detail. I mean, when you go back and look at the passage, I mean, this is what we're told. It says, he came in the spirit, verse 27, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him. I'm like, whoa, time out, time out here. I need more information. Like, okay, this is, this is Jerusalem. Now, sometimes you watch the movie, and the movie shows Mary and Joseph walking into the temple by themselves with baby Jesus, and there's like one guy in the temple, Simeon, he, he comes over. Like, this is the Jerusalem temple. There were probably hundreds, if not thousands, of people in the range of this area. And it's likely that Mary and Joseph were not the only parents bringing their child for dedication this day. For all we know, it could have been waiting for like a line at Cedar Point, you know? Could have been all these parents with their kids, like, all right, when's that priest going to be done with that guy? Come on, i got to get this kid done, you know? And so who knows how many parents, how many kids, but as Simeon comes in, he makes a beeline for Mary and Joseph. Why? Because he's sensitive and responsive to the Holy Spirit. He knows this is not an ordinary baby, but an extraordinary Savior. He comes. I'm like, okay, I need more information. Did he just walk up and, like, take the baby? I mean, if you're Mary and Joseph and you're sitting there in line, you know, to dedicate your kid and some dude comes up and grabs your kid, I don't know what you do. I'd be like, oh, that's it. Grab my kid, you're out, you know? Simeon's life would have ended about five verses ago, you know? Um, did, did, did he just take the baby? Or did he, like, was there a moment where, they, like, he looked at him and said, may I? And they handed him over. Like, all, we don't know how all that went down, but there was something amazing and beautiful and extraordinary about this moment. And look what he says again. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You know what he just said? I can die now. I can die in peace. I am good to go. The biggest thing on my bucket list has just been marked off. I can, I'm ready to meet my creator. Let's do this. Like the promise he'd been waiting for, the hopefulness he had had finally was fulfilled. And, and you look at what he's saying. He's, he starts, my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared the presence of all people, like the one who's going to bring forgiveness, the one who's going to bring hope, the one who's going to bring peace, the one I've seen him. And now, like, and, and he goes on and on, the, the, um, the light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory, he's starting praising God, he's blessing God, he's fulfilled. There's no, there's no need for purpose, there's no need for meaning, he's done, he's satisfied with what he experienced in that moment, holding Christ. This is where we get jealous of Simeon. Because Simeon got to see Jesus, right? Simeon got to hold. Like, I don't know if you, like, wrap your mind around that. What if you go back in a time machine and hold the baby Jesus? That's like, that'd be crazy, you know? He got to hold and touch. And this is where some of us get hung up on. Like, see, see, that's why I don't believe. See, I'm having a hard time believing in Jesus because I can't see him. Because I can't touch him. And so that, that's a hold out for me. We just have to realize that you have to see through the eyes of faith. Oh, we've got to play the faith card. Yes, the Bible says a few things about faith. And here's the thing about faith. Seeing through the eyes of faith, you see the invisible. See, see God's not going to play that game. Okay, I'll show you, and then you can believe. He's done that at times in special situations. For the most part, though, with God, it's believing is seeing. You've got to believe to see. Simeon waited a long time. He believed long before he saw. And so in the same way, we have to come to that place where we will find fulfillment in believing to see, in, in looking through the eyes of faith to the invisible. 
and finding our peace and our fulfillment and our hope and our joy wrapped up in Christ. And some of us have this figured out already. No amount of money, no house, no car, no accomplishment, um, no, no other human person will ever fulfill us because our soul is yearning for the one, to be in relationship with the one who made it. And so there's nothing wrong with having those things, but they'll never fulfill. You have to be in, with Christ. And that's how you start to experience the extraordinary is when you encounter Christ. And Simeon encountered Christ. And he was able to believe and then see. You know, it reminds me of something Jesus said many years later. This was after his death on the cross. This was after his resurrection from the grave. He was appearing to his disciples for over 40 days after he was alive. And he encountered one of his disciples named Thomas. Some of you know of Thomas. He was doubting. He said, I'm not going to believe in Jesus until I see him. And, and, and Jesus granted that. And then Thomas believed. But look what Jesus said in John 20, 29. He said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, when we get to that place, that's when the ordinary becomes the extraordinary. And by the way, when I say that, like, what does that look like? Like, what does that mean? Well, let's just think about this for a second. Uh, when you give extra love and care and compassion and generosity beyond your human ability, that's extraordinary. That's something that Christ does in your life. Or when you receive an incredible amount of love and care and generosity and compassion for people, that's extraordinary. A lot of that is motivated by Christ. When you've got the ability to forgive someone who's deeply hurt you, that's extraordinary. Some of you are stuck in unforgiveness and bitterness. That's your ordinary. But if you encounter Christ and surrender to Christ and and believe in Christ, he can change that ordinary of bitterness into an extraordinary of forgiveness. See, that's extraordinary. When you think about um, the trust of God, and the peace of God in your life in the midst of whatever storm you're going through. Whatever's gone upside down in your world, that you still trust God, still believe in God, still hope in God, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. That's what the work of Christ in our life. When you have victory over the slavery of addiction, and then Christ can do that in your life, that's extraordinary. When there's transformation and new life that Christ gives us, when, when you are an angry or depressed person, and you are now a person of joy and purpose. That's the transformation that's, that's Christ-centered. It's extraordinary. And, and so we can have extraordinary marriages and parenting and, and relationships and purpose and fulfillment, all those things. When, when a broken and estranged relationship can be mended, that's extraordinary. And a lot of those things can be fueled by Christ. You know, a lot of you who are a church family, you know, I've been very op- open with some of my story. You know, I haven't seen my dad in over 10 years. My, my 14 and 13-year-old met him once when they were infants. They have no memory. My, my, he's never met my entire family. And in the flesh, in the, in, the, in the human condition, I'm like, you know what? If you shut that door, that's fine. It's, it's locked. I'm not going after it. I'm not going to pursue that. But what Christ has been stirring up in my life is to pursue him. The Lord has told me, you need to pursue him like I pursue you. You need to be a peacemaker. And so God's given me courage. He's given me desire to connect with him. And so, you know, we've had several phone conversations over the last couple months. I talked to him yesterday. And uh, we're from California. If you don't know that, we're flying back for family time starting tomorrow. And so we're going back to California to visit family. And yesterday I said, hey, we're looking to come down and visit. It's like a five-hour drive. He said, I really want to meet you guys. I'm looking forward to it. And he was very positive about that. So maybe in four or five days, my dad's going to meet my whole family for the very first time. You know what that is? That's extraordinary, but it started because of Christ. 
Because without Christ, I wouldn't care. I'd move on and do my own thing. But because Christ is at work, he's taken that ordinary in my life and made it extraordinary. What kind of ordinary in your life does Christ want to change into extraordinary? Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be satisfied with ordinary. I don't want to be stuck in ordinary. If God has extraordinary for me, I want, I want that. And I hope that's the same thing in your heart. And man, if God's got extraordinary waiting for you, you go after it, whatever that looks like. If you're a follower of Christ, more surrender, being more sensitive, being more hopeful, being more devoted to him, whatever that looks like, being more fulfilled in him. And if you don't know Christ today, and Simeon walked into a place of worship and encountered him, maybe today in this place of worship, it will be the moment where you encounter Christ, that you surrender, that you believe through the eyes of faith so that you can see the invisible and you can experience the extraordinary. I really believe that's what God has for you. And so that whole concept, I really want you guys to walk away with that today on this Christmas Eve. Faith in Christ changes the ordinary to the extraordinary. It's so true. And I really want you guys to experience that. Now, here's what I want to do. Uh, We're going to close out our time in prayer. I just want to pray with us. As we pray, we're going to ask for God to, to do that in our life. And I don't know where you're at in this nativity, if you will, I don't know if you're one of those people out here that have never experienced what God has. I don't know if God's brought you close. I don't know if you're hanging out with JR today and you're ready to like encounter you know, Christ. But my hope is that you'll draw near to the Christ that was born and that he'll take whatever ordinary Christmas that you're about to have and even today and starting tomorrow and even over the next year in your lifetime, he'll, he truly will make it extraordinary. But you gotta, you gotta be devoted too. You gotta be hopeful. You've got to be responsive to the Holy Spirit, and you've got to be fulfilled in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder today that you really, truly do have more for us than oftentimes we realize. I thank you that through your power, through your promises, you can take ordinary and make it extraordinary. God, thank you for the birth of Jesus, what we celebrate today. Because of Jesus' birth, we know, God, that you can take the ordinary, make an extraordinary if we surrender. So God, help us look through the eyes of faith. Help us trust and believe in you as Savior and the one you've given to man. God, I pray right now for the people who are celebrating newness. God, a new season, a new marriage, a new birth. God, just be with them. Let them just uh, glorify Christ, rejoice in Christ, and experience extraordinary um, beauty in that newness. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting. God, for those who are dealing with sickness or death or loss of a job or loss of a relationship, I pray that you would just fill that vacuum, fill that void with an extraordinary comfort, an extraordinary purpose in their life, Lord. And Lord, right now, for for those who actually don't know you as Savior, and if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. Nothing about me, nothing about this prayer is fancy or special, but it's your heart. You can just say, God, I'm trapped and ordinary. (laughs) I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm sinful, and I need you. And right here in this place, in this moment, I'm encountering Christ who was born. Christ who died on the cross. Christ who rose from the grave. And I believe. I choose to believe through the eyes of faith right now. Help me to see the invisible. Help me to see the extraordinary. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. Hey, just a couple things as we wrap it up. One, if you, if you are surrendering to Christ today for the very first time, look, we'd love to help you grow in your new relationship. It would just be a mistake to leave here without taking the next step. And so a couple next steps for you. Uh, all of you have a program. On the back of that program is a response card. 
Would you just mark the appropriate response if you've given your life today or if you want, even if you just want to have a spiritual conversation. You're like, I need more. I need to talk more about Jesus. I'd like to talk to you. Man, mark this off. And if you bring it to our information center, we actually have a gift. If you've given your life to Christ, we'd love to exchange uh, your, your response card for a gift that we'd like to give you. If you don't have time for that, you can put this in the basket or text Jesus to the phone number on the back of your program, and we'll follow up to you to help you with your next steps. Uh, secondly, thank you for being here. Just thanks for giving us this time on Christmas Eve. We know you have a lot of other options that you could um, be participating in. And we hope you were encouraged today. I hope you have an extraordinary Christmas. And lastly, next Sunday, we're kicking off a new series. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times we play it safe. We play it safe. God has not really designed us to play it safe. You know, we really need to challenge the whole idea of a comfort zone. Is there really a comfort zone that God wants us to live in? And so we're starting a series called Risk Takers. And we're going to look a little bit more about how God has created us to be more risky in living for him. And so we're going to be looking at some of the early people in the Bible who were huge risk takers and learn from their lives. And so I invite you back uh, here next Sunday to kick that off with us. But let's uh, stand and let's worship the Lord. Pastor Nate, why don't you take it?